Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning on this beautiful Colorado day. You know, it's weekends like this. You know, we've had 60 above, and we've had snow, and we've had cold, and we've had warm again. It goes on and off, and there's so much going on and so much to get ready for. It was... uh, Got a little snow in the last couple days. The ice is forming down low, and there's some ice fishing going on up in the high country. We're going to talk about ice fishing some today. We're going to talk about a number of things. We're going to talk later on about how to burn off some of those Thanksgiving calories with some hiking and some uh, things available in Colorado State Parks. Second hour, we're going to have the Blue Quail Angler join us. We're going to talk fly fishing, and Brad Peterson will join us, and we're going to talk... some waterfall hunting, that cold weather up north has really moved the birds. And the fact that a lot of the ponds are still open down here, the duck and goose hunting has been phenomenal. So we'll we'll cover that. I want to say thanks to uh, the uh, editor-at-large for Field and Stream, Kirk Dieter, and also the editor of Trout Magazine, uh, for filling in with, for me last week while I was on assignment. Kirk is just a uh, tremendous uh, knowledge and he brought in some wonderful lineup of guests and i i didn't get to listen to the show i was out of uh out of the area but i heard it went really well and we just love it and it's always great when some of these guys can fill in for me it gives me a chance to go wander a little more and then you get exposed to uh, a few different people so we really like that but we're going to continue with our legends of ice fishing series and i'm going to go right to the phones and joining me is probably the Mr. Ice Fishing, the grandfather, the godfather of modern-day ice fishing, and a really true personal friend that I've had the privilege of fishing with so many times. And uh, Mr. Dave Gensa, if we look back, uh, did we know we were starting a revolution back then? Well, I don't know if we knew, but I was sure hoping. <laughs> you know, uh, those, starting to build them fish houses and the things we learned, and, and yeah, it definitely spread across the country. Well, you know, I, I was thinking as I was driving in today um, how my ice fishing changed when a mutual friend, Greg Claudio, called me and said, to him, there's this guy I know, Dave Gens, and he's got these portable ice fishing huts. And I'm going, really? You know, kind of thinking. And he said, you got to come and fish with us. And long before there was an ice team, before um, the first power sticks came along, which I think was early 90s then, I'm not sure, but... Uh, you can fill me in on the dates, but long before that, you and I and Claudio and a bunch of other guys from up in the Northland there would get together right around this time of the year, usually the first weekend after Thanksgiving. And I don't think we knew, we knew we had some good things going on. You had introduced us to portable shelters and the use of electronics in ice fishing. And of course, that's widespread now. But I knew it changed my ice fishing tremendously. I don't know if I understood what it was going to do for the sport in general, Dave. Well, I know it was certainly exciting to me when I, I had my Vexilar transducer hanging down the hole. Actually, it was a Cytex back then, but an FL8. And I had seen my jig go down on that screen to that fish that was waiting, and I knew that was a major breakthrough in ice fishing. Yeah, you and, know, you know, you know I, I want to talk about some more modern things and the way things have changed, but I want to touch on what you just said because – 
it wasn't just, you know, people, I think, initially, a lot of avid ice fishermen understand this now, but it wasn't just seeing if there was fish down there, which was monumental, because you knew whether you were presenting to a fish or not, but it was seeing your presentation and watching the fish react to it was probably one of the most revolutionary concepts, don't you think? Oh, yeah. It, you know, it's a mood indicator. You, you know, it lets you know that they want to jig fast or slow or if they want a dead stick, you know, you you see all that and and you can make them adjustments. But I think another big thing it did is, you know, we used to go out and sit there and wait for the sun to go down in the evening and say they'll start biting. You know, after we started using the Vexlar, we discovered, well, they aren't here. They show up at, you know, as the sun starts going down, the fish start moving. So then we can sit. But during the daytime hours, you got to move because the fish are just sitting somewhere. Yep, you got to go find them. You know, we'd, we'd go out in those lakes in our boats, and we wouldn't sit on one spot all day waiting for a bite, but we would drill a couple holes sometimes ice fishing or put a big shack out there that we couldn't move and do just that, where with the portable shelters, it just changed everything. And we went out and just we, we attacked the lakes like we would in a boat. Yes, and, you know, I think another thing we learned back in them days is that them small lakes that, are back in the woods that you kind of dream about. You have to go fish them early in the season. If you wait till January, they, you know, the water gets too cold. The oxygen levels start dropping a little bit, and you, and they don't bite. No, but I boy, think we caught lots of fish going out there early. Oh, we did. Uh, we had many, many. Uh, it was typically the weekend after Thanksgiving, and I can't even remember what year we started doing that. We. After a while, we started calling it the Minnesota Masters of Ice Fishing, and then along came the ice team. But at what at the, the times and the memories we created and what we've seen develop in the ice fishing industry, my friend, uh, there was no ice fishing industry when we started, and now it is an industry, and it's just fantastic. But, you know, the concepts we that you helped pioneer, and I was so uh, honored to be right alongside you guys, uh, the portable shelters, the electronics have really caught on, and they've gotten better, and we can talk about how all those things have improved. But along with that, a lot of the other gear improved too, didn't it, Dave? Well, yeah, clothing. You know, there's there's no such thing as cold anymore. It's just inadequate clothing. You know, we have the, the clothing to keep you warm. You know, I'm out ice fishing today, and, you know, I haven't even thought about, you know, fishing on my house. I'm sitting on my snowmobile, and, yeah, you know, there's a little breeze, but heck, I'm totally comfortable. Oh, you're absolutely right, and uh, I think one of the first uh, clothing lines to come along were the blue suits that became the identity of ice fishing back in the '90s. I remember when I got my first one, and just revolutionized your ability to stay warm. And it's gotten so good. You know, another aspect of ice fishing, Dave, that I know is something that you talk about quite a bit, and the ice fishing rods. When I was younger. You really didn't even have a lot of rods to choose from. You had we take our old busted up uh, rods from the uh, open water season, and we'd cut them down and glue handles on them, and and make our own ice fishing rods. But as the new techniques took off, those rods really changed, and there became a plethora of options available for ice fishermen. And along with that, there became some very expensive pieces of equipment. And I think you feel that maybe that it's a little overkill sometimes, that there's a lot of great equipment, but at reasonable prices. Yes, te- you know, technology has caught up to the to the ice fishing uh, world and, and, you know, in rods where, you know, you, 
the less expensive, the mid-range rods right now are, to me, are every bit as good as the more expensive ones. And, you know, they got good feel. They got the, the right guides on them. They got a nice handle on them. You know, I like to have a little short handle. The scepter rod that I'm using this year from Clam. I mean, I, could, I got my finger right on the blank when I'm fishing. I can pistol grip it real easy. You know, they're just, and it's a $40 rod instead of a $100 plus rod. Yeah, and you know, one of the things I've always preached is you can get into ice fishing very inexpensively. Um, you can almost use your summer gear. It's not very effective, but you could. You can find an open hole if you walk around the lakes around here. Uh, and But if, you, if you're going to do it right, eventually you're going to want to shelter in some electronics. But you don't have to spend thousands of dollars on um, fishing gear other than that. Some two or three good, good rods and... Uh, a few and a handful of the right jigs and a few other lures, and you really can go out and do some damage and have some fun. What are what are a couple of the keys you look for in an ice fishing rod? All right, you know I didn't catch the question. I'm sorry. I said, what are some of the real keys you look for in an ice fishing rod? In an ice fishing rod is the uh, the flexibility of it, but stiffness equals sensitivity. Where if the if the the lure you're using bends the end of the rod, you lose feel. Now, I know we have spring bobbers and we have the uh, light action tips, but then you're you're watching for the bite. If you're if you have a a good rod that's that's stiff but not rigid, then you can feel the bite and and you know fight the fish. And you know I've landed huge fish on you know two or three four pound tests. You know it's not the uh, the, the the rod, it's the you know, it's not the fish, it's the it's the rod that makes that happen. It's, it's the right rod for the real, right rod and reel for the line you're using. No, I think you're absolutely right. The rod has to protect the line, and I'm kind of in the same school with you, and that's probably because we did so much time on the water together. But you know, I'll put a spring bobber or a light tip rod on a static rod if if I'm fishing two rods sometimes. But if I'm working a presentation, I want a rod that I can. I can almost feel the thump when that jig gets to the end of the line. I don't want it to just bob at the end and where I can feel the slightest difference in weight. But along, you know, you and I both know that requires good line that has to be straight, but it also requires the right presentation. And I know you're a fan of uh, tungsten jigs, aren't you? Yes. This tungsten uh, error that's come about now is it's a, it's made people better fishermen because the jigs are a little heavier, and it took the kinks out of the line. And now they, you know, every movement you make with your rod tip, you want your your lure to be doing that same movement. And if you have coils in your line, you know that doesn't happen. You know, you you're you're jiggling your rod tip, but the lure is sitting stationary down there. But I know you also like the speed you can get up and down when fish are a little deeper too. Yes, you know, I I was you know fishing this morning, and you know we're in you know, 29 feet of water and you're, you know, you got a number 10 hook on. It's nice that the tungsten has enough weight to, to get down there uh, quickly. So when there's a, you know, you got a fish that, you know, today they're like four or five feet off the bottom and, and you got one down there, you catch one, you want to get back down there as soon as you can. And tungsten has really helped that. You know, and that clam, when the first tungsten came from, from Europe, that's where it was uh, developed. Uh, the hooks were all too small. You know, and the first thing we did at Clam Pro Tackle is we uh, increased the hook size, and it's 
you know, it's helped the fishermen and it certainly has helped sales. No, I and I have a bunch of those uh, those clam uh, tungsten jigs too, and I fish with them almost exclusively. Now there are times I'll go to a still to a lead jig. I still have boxes of the old ones, the the Fat Boy and uh, all those we used to have. Uh, and there's sometimes where I want that that maybe a little bit slower drop, and some and but you still need jigs that show up well on your electronics. You know that's very true. That's why I developed a jig called the Drop Kick. And it's you know it's flat on the top, and it's it shows up really well on your sonar. And another a thing that ice fishermen should do is slide the knot that you got tied to your your jig towards the point of the hook, and that'll make it hang more horizontal. And especially when you're using a drop kick, it makes it kick. It it's not just wailing around down there. It's making little short kicks and. You know, that's a, uh, well, it's actually a thing the zooplankton do to stay in one place. They have to, they, they sink if they don't wiggle. So these things are moving to stay in one place. And, you know, we're just imitating that with a drop kick. You know, we've learned uh, so many of these presentation techniques and uh, the way fish react to them, not only from things like the Vexlars and the electronics, but when we started using cameras, now I don't use a camera every time I fish, but boy, what a learning tool that was! Yeah, certainly. I know. You know, we started the, the trap attack ice fishing tournaments, and we went down to Lake Okaboji down in Iowa. You know, and you could be looking in the water down there, and it's you know 15 feet dip, deep, but you don't have any idea. It looks like it's right under the ice. It's so clear. You know, and, and then that sight fishing. You know, same as using a camera, but you can you know you're just looking down, and you know we all learned a lot there. That what it took to get them fish to bite yep and just the viewing um the last thing i want to talk about well we got a couple minutes left and something that i've really grabbed onto, something that i use a lot and you know i i can't remember ever going for through the 90s i don't know if i ever went out on the ice without some maggots some wax worms or some minnows something i had live bait with me and of course we used a lot of maggots and spikes back then and I still do. There's still times when live bait is by far the best presentation. But more and more, I find myself willing to venture out on the ice with just some artificials. There are so many good artificials out there now. And if you're going to give it a little action anyway and pres- present it, a lot of times you don't even need live bait anymore. Is that what you're finding? You're right. Plastics is becoming a you know a big part of ice fishing now. And, and, uh, Something I learned, I was actually doing a television show with a guy out of Wisconsin. It was in the summertime, and, you know, I was using red-tailed chubs, and his, his daughter was, and he was using plastic. And he caught more fish on plastic than most people do in my boat. And I noted that at the end of the day, there was 15 pieces of plastic laying on the floor that looked perfectly good. But when you looked at them closer, they had a tear in them, you know, instead of a uh, putting that old piece of plastic on he put a new piece on and i said to myself you know i didn't fish with dead minnows neither yeah that's that's a great great point dave dave any last uh we've got a minute left so any last tips you want to give the modern day ice fishermen that maybe they're that they're they're missing out on well you know i wouldn't go out there unless i have sonar i mean you just you just really you you just need that you know, and, and to have 
a few rods rigged up instead of one. A lot of times the school of fish comes through, especially during the daytime, and you get this fish on. Well, by the time you get that fish off and get your line back down, the school has passed by. I've got another rod ready. So it's, I just drop that on the rod when that fish gets on the ice and grab the other rod and put it down the hole. And then a lot of times you'll catch two out of that school instead of one. That's a great, great tip. Mr. Gentz. It's been way too long since you and I have been on the water together. We have to find a way to cure that very soon. Well, maybe I'll have to get to Colorado again and get up and catch some of them fish that are out there. Well, get you on some rainbows or some big lake trout. I'd love to. We'll get you up there. Love to do it. Dave, you've been a great friend for a long time, and it's always a, a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, you, you too, Terry. Hope All we right. get together soon. Yeah, me too. Thanks. That's uh, Dave Gens. Truly uh, a pioneer of modern-day ice fishing, truly, truly one of the gentlemen in the outdoors. And uh, I could say more about Dave uh, while he was on, but I don't want to embarrass him. But he's truly uh, a legend and a pioneer, and I was so privileged to be able to um, be around people like that as this uh, industry was growing. And it's just uh, he made a huge impact on my life, and he's just a great guy and a Tremendous, tremendous ice fishermen. We'll take a time out. When we come back, we'll change up and take you up in the mountains to one of the lakes right here in Colorado on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Dire Straits. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. And by the way, I forgot to mention that Kyle and I are out on a tightrope without a net today. Karen was under the weather, so she stayed home. And uh, she's, I'm sure she's listening, Kyle. And we're more than likely to. She lost her voice, so she can't call us. But we'll probably get a text about something I did before the show is over. Miss you, Karen. Yeah, all right. Me too. Well, she always keeps things running here. But let's, let's go to the phones right now. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Kelly Cook from Steamboat and Pearl Lakes. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning. How are you? How is the weather up in Steamboat today? Um, It's about 25 degrees and sunny today. So beautiful like, day up here. Sounds like a, yeah, sounds like a beautiful day. You know, for people who might not know, why don't you explain where Steamboat Lake and Pearl Lake are located? And we'll kind of go over some of the amenities you got that you have there. Alrighty. Well, Steamboat Lake and Pearl Lake are located about 25 miles north of the town of Steamboat Springs. Um, Pearl Lake is a little bit closer because it's at about mile marker 22, and the visitor center at Steamboat Lake is at mile marker 25, just across from the Hans Peak Village. And what when you get there, what do you see? You've got two lakes. Are are there differences in the parks and what they offer? Yeah. So. At Pearl Lake, it's a little bit smaller. There's close to 40 campsites there, and it actually has two yurts. And one of the yurts is dog-friendly, which is really popular. Um, and then there's kayaking, fishing, paddleboarding, those kinds of activities. The lake is a wakeless lake, so you can't um, have a wake, but you can have a motor out on that lake. So it is more popular with the kayakers and stand-up paddleboarders because it's a little bit smaller and calmer. And over at Steamboat Lake, we have lots going on. It's a bigger lake, so in the summer it's really popular with the fishermen. It's popular for boating and swimming and all those types of activities. 
Um, we also have close to 200 campsites over at Steamboat Lake, so it's also extremely popular for camping. And we do have a vendor within the park that has 10 camper cabins that are um, pretty basic but very nice cabins over at the lake. Um, there's also lots of hiking trails in the park, um, a couple shorter ones and some longer ones as well. And then in the wintertime, we have a Nordic center. So we're popular for cross-country skiing and then also ice fishing. And then we have a multi-use area where people can snowmobile. Well, you know, you mentioned how beautiful it is in the summer and the trails. And you started getting into the winter. You know, well, I've been doing outdoor media for like four decades. And a lot of times, a lot of people would button up in the winter and stay in. And we wouldn't see them again till spring. But... We're really seeing that change with the modern-day clothing we have, with the shelters and tents and sleeping bags that are available, and with the campers and trailers that are so easily winterized. We're really seeing a lot of people, they just don't want to stay indoors in the winter. Are you seeing that trend up there, too? Yeah, and we, you know, in the wintertime, um, we do have people coming up from Steamboat who want to get away from um, kind of the hustle and bustle of Steamboat, if you can imagine that, um, and get away from the, the downhill skiing, and they come up for a day and spend the day either snowshoeing or cross-country skiing where it's a little bit quieter. And then the locals, I think, have always utilized the park for the skiing and snowshoeing and snowmobiling, um, so you know, we see more and more of that, and a lot of people aren't equipped with um, snowshoes and things like that. So we actually have some kind of cheap snowshoes that we rent out to people um, if they're just visiting the park and need to get out on the trails and snowshoes. Now, if they head over from the metro area here, do you have camping available through the winter? We do. So we do have 12 electric sites in our marina parking lot. Um, we do plow the parking lot, but we don't plow the campgrounds themselves. So people are able to electric camp, and if people are interested in tent camping out in the park, um, we will sell them a campsite, and they can park in the parking lot and hike out and find a beautiful spot. Now, that's at Steamboat. It's different at Pearl. Is that right? At Pearl Lake, the yurts are open year-round. Um, people could camp over there if they wanted to, but it's um, typically used by the people accessing the yurts. And they do have to hike in about a quarter of a mile, either snowshoe or ski, into Pearl Lake. Um, but the yurts are heated, and uh, they're reservable on the reserve, um, the CPW shop, uh, year-round. And then, of course, you mentioned ice fishing. And you get quite a bit of ice fishing at Steamboat Lake, don't you? We do. And we actually try to do some fishing clinics throughout the winter to get more people out there where we provide the poles and the bait and everything and do a little clinic on how to ice fish. And what kind of fish can I expect to catch at Steamboat Lake? Um, all the trouts, uh, rainbow, cutthroat, cutbow, browns, um, all the trouts are in there. <laughs> um, is the lake frozen right now or when does ice fishing usually start there? Um, so we had a few brave ice fishermen a couple weeks ago who went out on the ice, um, and then it all thawed over the last couple weeks, and then it's just starting to refreeze this week now that we're getting some colder temperatures, and over the last couple of days we've had a couple inches of snow. So it's, it's starting to refreeze. All right, so it should be pretty soon. You know, before I let you go, yeah. I want to I touch on something, the fact that you're an administrative assistant at those parks, and people, I think, they're, when they think of, Parks and Wildlife, they think of rangers and biologists and 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 uh, occupations like that. But 
like any other business, Parks and Wildlife needs just people to, there's people to wear a bunch of different hats. Now, what do you do as an administrative assistant in a park like that? Do you just sit in an office and take phone calls? <laughs> no. Um, well, every day is kind of different. So some days I am at my desk because I am in charge of um, the accounting for the park. So I keep track of our budget and I pay all of our bills and keep the park up and running. Um, I also uh, helped design some new exhibits in our visitor center. So I had some crazy ideas and I have a very supportive park manager who said, yeah, go ahead and do it. So we have a whole new animal display wall that we're looking for a, an artist to do a mural on. Um, so we have some salamanders and snakes and some fish and uh, people can come in and check out some of the local smaller animals that they might find in the park. So I got to design that exhibit. And then I run our volunteer program and camp host program. So um, actually I had volunteers who helped me build that um, animal exhibit. And then I also manage some of our seasonal staff. I also hire in all of our seasonal staff and make sure they get paid throughout the year when they're here. Um, I do a lot of the training and orientations for our seasonal and our volunteer staff. Um, we have a, kind of a brand new CPW nature store. So I do all the ordering for the store and I also got to help design the clothes with um, the URA people. So that was kind of fun. I heard, you, then, I heard you even shovel snow once in a while. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was out there <laughs> shoveling for an hour yesterday. Yeah, so I, it, it's not just being in the office. I'm out there shoveling snow packing the trail into the yurts, cleaning the yurts. I do everything from the accounting all the way to cleaning the toilets at the park. So but, but there's you, really nothing I don't do. You know, <laughs> Kelly, with your enthusiasm, though, it sounds like it's a really rewarding job for you. It certainly is. The people who come into the park and use the park are awesome. I love interacting with all of our guests and making sure that they have a good time while they're here. So, um, you know, it changes every day, and every day is, you know, a new adventure. Well, and I think it's great that Parks and Wildlife, for people to know that there are opportunities like yours with Parks and Wildlife and that the kind of people that work there. Thank you for joining us today, Kelly. All right. Thanks for having me on. You bet. That was awesome. Hopefully a lot of people get up and take advantage of your parks. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to be joined by another Parks and Wildlife uh, associate, and we're going to talk about an activity where you could get into parks like Steamboat for free coming up very soon. All that on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Tequila Sunrise, my favorite group, the Eagles. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We are going to go right to the phones where I hope patiently waiting is Travis Duncan. Good morning, Travis. Good morning, Terry. Sorry we ran a little late there, but I tell you what, Kelly, when she was describing her duties and her job, was so enthusiastic. I think about the fact that parks and 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 the Division of Wildlife been part of the show since 1998, and the people I get to interact with, and the resources that Parks provides, and the enthusiasm your employees have for sharing those resources, it's uh, it just brightens my day. Brightens my day too. Yeah, thanks, Terry. You could just tell it came through that Kelly just wants you to come up there. And I tell you what, if you want to go up and see Kelly at Steamboat and Pearl Lake. Is it going to come up in uh, less than a week? You could do it without buying a Parks Pass. Is that right? That's right. You could. We're uh, celebrating Fresh Air Friday, uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving, November 29th, when 
Uh, you can get into any one of our 41 state parks for free, free entry into the park. We just want you to uh, get outside, get some exercise, get some fresh air, uh, maybe walk off some of that, that Thanksgiving dinner you had the day before. No, you're absolutely right. And this is a program. How long have you guys been doing this Fresh Air Friday? Now, we started it in 2015. Yeah, because I remember I wrote about it in my column in the Denver Post once, and we talked about uh, just getting outdoors and, you know, getting a little activity and exercise after that uh, fill of football and turkey and everything that people get on Thursdays on, on Thanksgiving. And, and, and you know what? And I'm not a recreational shopper, so to all of you who want to go out on Black Friday and buy something, uh, that's fine. But I just love being outdoors, and there's so many things you can do outdoors in Colorado this time of the year, isn't there? There is a fantastic time to be out. I, I heard you talking about uh, ice fishing, Terry. But, yeah, there's just fantastic activities going on all around Colorado, um, whether it's at our state parks, which have lots of lots of uh, cool hikes, cool activities, uh, interpretive programs, but also just in your backyard. If you um, download our new Cotrex app, which uh, we're offering through through the state, it's, it stands for Colorado Trail Explorer, and it has over 39,000 miles of trails, basically every official trail in the state of Colorado. You can zoom in to where you are in the state and, uh, you know, wherever you're going to be on a certain day and find out what, what trails are near you and get on a trail within minutes. So I uh, definitely suggest people check that out as well. Well, we talked about that program a, a year or two ago when it launched, and actually it's been an ongoing project because it involves so many entities. But one of the goals of the government of Colorado and the governor at that time was that everybody be within 10 minutes of either a park or a trail that connects to parks and that the trails would interconnect. And that goal is really being realized, isn't it? Right. That's right. They started it in, in 2016 as, as part of former Governor Hickenlooper's Colorado the Beautiful Initiative, the idea being they want every Colorado to be within 10 minutes of, a, of an open space, of a green space, a place to be outside uh, and get those benefits of nature that we know are out there. And so... Um, with this project, you know, we're starting to realize some of those some of those goals that were started there in 2016. Um, they surveyed 236 land managers for this project, so um, there's lots of lots of apps out there uh, have trails. Um, they're basically basically user created. This was they went to the land managers themselves, and so uh, it's really the most comprehensive out of the box app that's ever been created. But kind of the first of its kind. And so um, I've definitely used it for me to get outside for, you know, when I'm taking my daughter to a class or something and I know I'm going to be somewhere, I just look and see what the latest or near, most nearby trail is and I can get outside. And so it's really helpful. It fits in with, with your lifestyle well if, you, if you're, it's, say, a weekday and you don't have time that day to get up into the mountains, you can still get outside. And that's the whole idea of Fresh Air Friday is obviously you're waiving the park fees because you're trying to encourage people to get outside. But if they can't get to a park, get outside in your backyard, like you said, or or get outside and do a trail or a green space or go for a walk. I think some of the parks are even offering some special hikes. Is that right? They are. So um, all the parks are, are open with free entry, but you can get into uh, or, or they're offering Fresh Air Friday special hikes at uh, Ridgeway State Park, Chatfield, um, at Arkansas Headwaters Recreation Area, Bar Lake State Park, and Mueller State Park. And so if you go to our website, cpw.state.co.us, and, and go to the park finder or find, find one of those parks if you're interested in those special hikes, they've got fun names like the After Gobble Wobble and the Great Waddle Walk-Off at Bar Lake State Park. So you can find those in there on the parks page there and, and check out what times and, and how long the, the loop 
they'll be doing is or what trail they'll be doing. And, and yeah, we have more information on the website. You know, just join in the camaraderie of some of these trail hikes, especially if they're guided. It just can make for a lot of fun. You were telling me earlier in the week, you and I were talking about something called Generation Wild. Tell me more about that. Oh, yeah. So so Great Outdoors Colorado um, has, has started a, a Generation Wild campaign or been run, running a Generation Wild campaign. And uh, the, the idea is to get kids outside. And, and part of that is um, they have a list of 100 things to do or 100 things every kid should do uh, by the time they turn 12 years old. And so if you go to, to their website to, to GoCo uh, Generation Wild, uh, you can get find the PDF. It says 100 things to do before you're 12, and it's a checklist. And so uh, I'm looking at it now. There's things like skip rocks, spot a shooting star, um, create a sidewalk mural, roll down a hill, go on a picnic. So you can see it's all kind of geared around being outdoors and, and doing, you know, some, something that, that, that you have to do outdoors, right, by the time you're 12, or, or that kids should do. They should know that experience, right, and not just not just the experience of, of say, being on a screen or on a phone. or um, Those things are part of modern existence, I suppose. But, you know, it's it's definitely good to connect with, with those real-world experiences that are that are outside your front door, and so that's, that's the inspiration behind it. And I think it's a tremendous one. If people who listen to this show on a regular basis know that I'm virtually evangelistic about getting youth outdoors, if we don't get them involved outdoors when they're young, sometimes it's difficult to get them into outdoor activities later. They get hesitant to take on new adventures. They're, they're uncomfortable. They don't understand what's going on. And it, But if you can get them started young, and all any programs that help get kids away from, and outdoors and away from the, you know, the television, and, and especially if it gets their parents involved, is just a tremendous, tremendous uh, boon to, I think, not only the, ch- the child themselves, but to our values and our cultures and the camaraderie and the memories you develop. One other thing that maybe will help get some of the people who are a little more into the video world out a little bit, and that's something I think is kind of fun. I've actually downloaded it to my phone. I haven't done an assignment yet, I think they call it. But that's the uh, Agents of Discovery, and that's being taken part by across the country by select parks, wildlife areas, federal lands, and there's just some certain activities that are involved like a video game. Tell us about that. That's right. So so earlier this fall, it was in October, we launched our um, – at 10 Colorado State Parks, we, we launched a, an app. We partnered with um, Agents of Discovery, uh, with the, which is an educational mobile gaming platform that creates or, or provides a platform for our park managers to create missions uh, that folks can go on uh, when they're at these parks. So the idea is that you could download it on your phone before you got to the park – um, depending on what you know, cell coverage is going to be like. Uh, you don't have to have Wi-Fi or data connection for these games. They they work off of GPS, and so you download the Agents of Discovery app to your phone. Say you're going to Bar Lake, you you download the Bar Lake mission, and then when you got there, uh, they've got one that's on a that's called a water trail. So if you're out on a kayak or on, on a a boat out on Bar Lake, uh, when you when you come up to certain buoys, uh, it would activate. Uh, something on your phone on that game that that shows you, and in this case, it it shows a lot of the history of the Bar Lake area. And so the mission is then to collect all that information about the the history. Um, and then if you do the whole trail, uh, you can, you win a prize. You can go back to the visitor center there at Bar Lake, and they have uh, Generation Wild shirts and other cool prizes that you can get with your family. And so um, it's a fun thing to do outside uh, with your family. Uh, it, it's you don't necessarily have to engage in that if, if you don't want to be on your phone, but if you already have it in your pocket taking photos and you wanted to check out the game, it is fun. It's a way to learn about the history of our parks, 
Um, and like a lot of our park managers have pointed out, uh, you know, the static signage on the park can be hard to change out, can be hard to keep up to date and, and uh, keep keep everyone aware of what's going on, what kind of se- seasonal changes are happening at the park. Uh, with it, with something like this, it kind of brings puts the signage in the user's pocket. And so there is a trail closure. If there's, you know, an interesting migratory bird species coming through, we can communicate that kind of information to the park users through through the app by creating missions that that have to do with that that news. So it, it's a interesting new way for us to communicate to to people coming into the park as well. Right, we have to move on. But those are so many. I think we've just given so many examples of wonderful opportunities. And the last thing I'll say is with Fresh Air Friday next Friday, they're waiving the parks fees. If there's a park, whether it's near or far, that you've wanted to go check out and you've never bought a parks pass or you don't normally buy one. Go on Friday and check that park out. Even though it's Fresh Air Friday, I'm sure they're not going to be as busy as a summer weekend. Check out the park. Get outside and have some fun. And uh, I just want to thank Travis, you, for joining us and sharing this information with us. Definitely. Thanks for having me on, Terry. You bet. Oh, lots of great programs. That's Travis from Parks and Wildlife. We'll take a quick time out. We'll have more outdoors on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports. And I'll tell you what, Sun Power Sports has been a partner to this show uh, and my television show for going on two decades. And what a great partner. They're outdoor people. And if you're looking for an ATV, a side-by-side, or a motorcycle, just go to go to sunent.com or stop by 80th in Washington. These guys are just phenomenal. They're such a supporter of the show, and that's so important to bringing you the information. You know, if you were listening, we talked about a lot of stuff. We're, we got a lot coming up. We're going to talk a lot more fishing, and we're going to talk some waterfall hunting, including fly fishing, uh, open water fishing, and maybe some ice fishing. We just got a lot to cover yet. But this time of the year, I was just thinking, what do I normally do? What is my activity? Now, normally Thanksgiving's a little earlier. It's, uh, it's the latest it can be this year. And it's typically around this time of the year where I start making my first forays to ice fishing. Now, there's some ice fishermen that have been already. There's been spotty ice at times. Higher lakes have had some good ice. But it's really going to kick off in the next week or two, and then it's just going to get better through about February, and we'll start to see it deteriorate. Now, that's normal. I can't predict the weather. But boating season is winding down. You know, a lot of the—we still have a lot of open water here up and down the front range of Colorado. In fact, Pueblo— We'll stay open all winter, weather permitting, so you can fish from a boat year-round. But Chatfield, Cherry Creek, those kind of lakes, you're not going to be able to launch a boat almost anywhere after after Thanksgiving. It's going to be about over or pretty close, and that's going to be about it. So, But shore fishing is really overlooked. You know, where the, the lakes and the ponds aren't frozen, this time of the year, Parks and Wildlife stocks a lot of trout on the front range. few reasons, because our front range lakes get fairly warm, they get concerned about overstocking in the spring because of the survival rate. Now, they, they do stock in the spring fairly heavily, but they stock very heavily in the fall. It also supplements the ice fishing activity, but it gives them a chance for some of those fish to grow and be available in the spring. So right now, where there's open water from the shore, the water's cool. Those trout are by shore. They've just been introduced to the lake. It can be just phenomenal fishing for both newly stocked trout and for holdover trout. So you can have some great time whether you use power bait or a spinner or a spoon from shore or a jig. There's just a lot of ways to go after them. It can be it can be tremendously fun and 
great time to get out, get a sunny day if there's some open water. So take advantage of that. Now, I mentioned the ice fishing is kicking off. We're in the middle of our Legends of Ice Fishing series. We just had uh, Dave Gentz on today, who uh, is the godfather, the the pioneer of modern-day ice fishing techniques, somebody I've known for decades that I've got to fish side-by-side with. Last week, we had uh, Brian Bro Brosdahl. He's the guy you see with the big red goatee hanging out all the time. And uh, just a tremendous, tremendous uh, uh, personality and knowledgeable. And if you listen to those interviews, and, and the one from Bro uh, Brian Bro Brosdahl is up on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. You should follow us on Facebook anyway, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. You would have known that Brian was on last week, and then we posted the podcast link there. We'll do the same with Dave Gentz this week. If we have trivia, the answers are on our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Every time we put something new on our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, we post it on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors so you know it's there. And by the way, there is a ton of local ice fishing on my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. We have tons of local ice fishing shows on there. There's about 150 episodes, but I'll bet you there's a dozen that are just ice fishing. Anyway, we'll post all those, so follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and we'll post who's coming up on our Legends of Ice Fishing. Next week, we have a double header. We're going to have Steve Panaz from Lake Commandos and Stone Cold uh, Ice Fishing, and we're going to have one of the true pioneers of outdoors, uh, both fishing and ice fishing, a Hall of Fame nominee, and one of the best ice fishermen you'll ever meet, and that's Greg Colagio. Both of them will join us next week for ice fishing segments. So we got a lot, a lot coming up. Uh, just, you know, follow us on Facebook. Keep track of it. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. We'll take a quick time out and talking about people who are legends. Um, we'll have one of our own legends from right around here, Mr. Nate Zielinski, join us after this time out on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, a 104.3 The Fan.